Hey, what's going on? Austin Bollinger here with another exciting episode of the Daily New Year's podcast. And if you've been listening for long, you know that I love talking about setting and crushing goals all year long. Whether those are your health goals, your career goals, relationship goals, side hustle goals, it doesn't really matter. I love giving you guys tips, tricks, and strategies to help make the goal setting process as easy as it can be and to help ensure your success. So like I said, generally I like to give you guys tips, tricks, and strategies to help achieve a broad spectrum of goals, no matter what your goals might be. But occasionally I like to talk about the things I'm doing in my own personal life. And over the last year or two, I have been addressing a lot of my personal finances. So today I want to tell you about 10 financial goals you can set at any time of the year to help master your money. So no matter if you're a complete beginner and have never done anything with your finances before or you've tried a lot of things over the years and you're just looking for something new, I am sure there is a goal in this list that is going to get you excited about your money. But before we dive into the episode, I have to remind you, I am not a financial advisor. I'm just what I like to call a goal getter. I'm a guy who loves to set and crush goals all the time. And these are just goals that I've set in the past 12 to 18 months that I've seen some success with, and most of them are pretty easy, pretty doable, that I thought I would share with you guys. So without further ado, let's dive into these 10 financial goals that are going to help you master your money. So I'm going to dive right into number one, and that's getting a free credit report. So this is by far the easiest financial goal on the list. And in my opinion, getting a free credit report is an absolute must. It's so easy, why not go ahead and do it today? So for the longest time, I thought getting a free credit report would damage my credit score. This is something I was told repeatedly in my late teens and early 20s, but later in life I found that it's absolutely false. Hard inquiries may ding your score, but soft inquiries like using freecreditreport.com do not. What's the difference? Well, I actually had to look that up myself, but U.S. News defines the difference, and I'm going to drop the link to their article and freecreditreport.com in the show notes, but I'll go ahead and tell you the differences right now. A hard inquiry is an inquiry that occurs when a prospective lender checks your credit report to make a lending decision. Hard inquiries can slightly lower your credit score and will typically stay on your report for two years. A soft inquiry, on the other hand, is an inquiry that occurs when a person or a company checks your credit report as a background check, like when you check your credit score or when a mortgage lender pre-approves you for a loan. A soft inquiry can occur without your permission, but don't worry, they won't affect your credit in any way. So why not sign up and get a free credit report right now today? A credit report can often reveal errors that could be reducing your overall score, and many are super easy to fix. If you do have a few things on your report that are lowering your score that you are responsible for causing, freecreditreport.com also provides tips and tools for fixing those items. 
So you can't fix issues that you don't know about, right? I mean, that makes sense. So that's where a free credit report comes in. If you don't think you need a good credit score because you don't use credit or get credit cards or take out loans, think again. Having a poor credit score can actually show up on background checks for jobs, uh, leasing an apartment, and it could even raise your insurance rates. So before you do anything else to improve your financial situation, get a free credit report at freecreditreport.com. Trust me, you will not regret this. And if you're worried about what you might find there, fear not, because again, you can't fix issues that you don't know about. So if you're afraid your score might be low due to poor credit history or mistakes that you've made in the past, go ahead and get the free credit report. That way you can start fixing those issues today. All right, tip number two is evaluate your finances and build a budget. I talk a lot about this on the blog, and I'll put a couple links to some articles I've written in the show notes. But now that you know your credit score, the next financial goal you should set for yourself, in my opinion, is to evaluate your financial situation and establish a budget. Now, many people view budgets as a restriction, something that limits your freedom and sucks the fun from your life. But I think that couldn't be further from the truth. Budgets, simply put, are smart ways to keep track of all the money you have coming in versus all the money you have going out. If you have more going out than you have coming in, you're getting into debt faster than you might realize, and this can happen without you even noticing it. So having a budget allows you to see what you have coming in, But more importantly, it's going to allow you to track your expenses and keep an eye on the money that's going out. You may be spending more on food and entertainment than you even realize. I know I was. I was eating out more often than I thought, hitting Starbucks way more than I thought I was. So establishing a budget is number two on my list because you can't effectively achieve the remaining eight goals I'm going to talk about today without first completing this one. The good news is, like I said, I've written a few posts on this topic and I have even put together a quick start budgeting template in Google Docs that I am making available to anybody who wants to download that for free. It will absolutely jumpstart your very first budget. And for anyone looking to get more detailed with their budgeting, I have an advanced option as well. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. I encourage you to download it. It only takes about an hour or two at the longest to really put together your first budget. So it doesn't take a lot of time and the payoff is absolutely huge. I encourage you to do that before you do anything else. So step number three or tip number three is read one personal finance book. Or if you have time and are up for the challenge, read even more. Read two, read read three or four. So I'm a huge fan of reading because books have the power to bring us the teachings and mentorship of the world's greatest minds without even ever meeting them. And I think that's huge. A couple of years ago, my father-in-law gave me two of Dave Ramsey's books for Christmas. The Dave Ramsey's Complete Guide to Money and his Total Money Makeover. I will put links to those in the show notes as well. But for the longest time, I didn't read those books. They just sat on my bookshelf collecting dust. And one year, I decided to pick one up and read it. And after reading those two books, my views on personal finances changed forever. 
Those were not skills that my parents or even my high school teachers taught me too much about. And I think that's common. You know, we all see our parents work with money, pay bills, uh, maybe talk about savings and, and so forth and so on. But most parents and most teachers don't sit down and show us the strategies that we need to be successful with money later in life. They don't show us how to budget. They don't show us how to uh, allocate money for retirement or savings. It's talked about loosely, but most people don't sit down and show you the step-by-step strategies. And that's why books are so important. They can teach you the exact strategies and the knowledge you need to fill that gap in your education. So even if you don't like to read, I encourage you to read one personal finance book this year. And the sooner, the better. If you truly despise reading, Try listening to an audiobook on Audible instead. You can, you know, depending on your commute, you can chip away at that over a few days. Most audiobooks are like four to six hours long. So if you have a 30 minute commute and you listen every day, you could have a six hour book done in just six days. Uh, maybe you walk on the treadmill or go running or while you're cooking in the kitchen. Any time that you have some downtime where you can listen, uh, I encourage you to read an audiobook, and I'll put a link in the notes below, but you can get a free 30-day trial with Audible that will give you, I believe, one or two free credits, and that you can use that to download either one of Dave Ramsey's books, and you're going to be well on your way to improving your finances just by doing that alone. All right, so we got the first three easy ones out of the way. The next tips are going to be progressively a little bit more complex and take a little bit more dedication. But number four is ask for a raise at work. Asking for a raise may seem like a simple goal. After all, it is just a conversation with your boss, right? That said, statistics show that a large percentage of people are intimidated to ask for more money. They think about it, they know that they're worth more money, but they have trouble asking for the for the raise, for the more money. And yeah, I'll say asking for a raise can be nerve-wracking, but I think most people get hung up on the wrong parts of it. So asking for a raise doesn't make you greedy. It doesn't make you selfish. It, it's nothing like that at all. If you think that you're worth more money, asking is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with asking for higher pay to match the hard work that you're doing day in and day out. If you truly believe you're worth more than you're making, you shouldn't feel nervous or ashamed or even embarrassed about asking for that raise. Your manager, boss, or supervisor should know all about the hard work you've been putting in. But we're all busy and we're quick to forget the recent events, especially in fast-paced work environments. So a lot of times, you know, six, eight, nine months can go by without anyone even realizing how quickly the time has gone by. And before you know it, it could be a year or two if no one has reminded anyone or even your bosses about how long it's been since your last raise. It could have slipped by completely unnoticed. It might be 18 months and you might mention a raise to your boss and they may think that they gave you a raise just six to eight months ago when in reality it's been quite a bit longer. So asking for a raise is a good thing. But before you just walk into your manager's office and say, hey, can I have a raise? One thing I recommend is prepare a case for why you deserve a raise and highlight your top achievements and how you've provided value to the company. For most bosses, CFOs, CEOs, 
How much they pay their employees is directly related to how much value they think those employees are providing. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of a reminder on your part to say, hey, I'm adding a ton of value to the company and I think I'm worth more than I'm currently being paid. So I'm going to drop a link in the show notes to an article on Glassdoor that has a full guide on how it's best to ask for a raise. It's a, it's a good strategy that you can go through and prepare for asking for that raise. And if you do that, I think you, you'll find that getting a raise isn't all that difficult if you can get over the fear of asking for one. Once you get that raise that you've been longing for, you should definitely put it to good use, but I'll cover that in some of the other financial goals ahead. Right now, I'm going to talk about goal number five, which is to start a $1,000 emergency fund. So now that we've warmed up, you know, we've assessed our financial situation, we've got a budget in place, and we've even asked for a raise at work, we need to jump into some of the more challenging goals. If you've read either one of those Dave Ramsey books that I mentioned before, you have no doubt read about his $1,000 emergency fund. An emergency fund is absolutely crucial because it can prevent you from using credit cards in a pinch. Dave teaches that your emergency fund should start at about $1,000 because in most cases, $1,000 will cover a lot of your smaller emergency. If your car breaks down or if something in your house breaks or even if you have a slight medical emergency, $1,000 will usually cover those types of things. And $1,000 may seem like a quite a bit of money, but most people can scrape together $1,000 if they really tighten down on their budgets, kind of cut out those extra expenses for a few months. I know when I first read it, I had my doubts, but when I talked to my wife about it and told her how important this was, we really tightened things up, cut out eating out and so forth, and we put together $1,000, I think, in just three months, and that was several years ago, and that $1,000 still sits there, so once we got that together, we just made that in our minds, you know, it's hands-off, that money is only for emergencies. And Dave also teaches, you know, that this money is reserved for true emergencies. According to Dave, most people refer to Christmas shopping as an emergency. Believe it or not, that's what he says uh, his research shows. And these people tend to lean on credit cards to get through the holiday season. But Dave points out, funny enough, that, you know, Christmas is always in December. And because it's always in December, we should be able to plan ahead for that. And then Dave takes it even a step further with things like your vehicle. You know, eventually we're going to have to buy new tires for our car. That really doesn't constitute an emergency because we know it's an inevitability. So we should be planning ahead for that and saving 10 bucks a month for new tires, you know, for a couple years or however long that takes. So Once you have your $1,000 emergency fund, try your hardest to reserve that for an actual true emergency. And if you have trouble uh, keeping an eye on some of those things that creep up on you like Christmas time or new tires every few years, consider revisiting your budget and adding a line item into the, the budget for those things. So your budget can serve you 
for more than just your monthly bills. You can actually kind of save money away for annual bills or even things that come around every two and three years. You just have to practice the discipline of saving that money and then putting it into an account where you don't touch it. So I do that with a lot of my annual bills, like my annual property tax or uh, my dog's annual trip to the vet. I will put a little bit of money in my checking account each month. That way at the end of the year, that money is there. So the more times that you practice this and the more surprises that you have come up, add those things to your budget. And the more that you do this, the fewer surprises you're going to have in your life and the fewer times you're going to need to tap into uh, your $1,000 emergency fund. All right. Number six is pay off your smallest debt at least your smallest debt. If you can, let's try to pay off as much debt as possible. But now that we have a budget in place, we've asked for a raise and we've got our $1,000 emergency fund uh, in the savings account, it's time to consider paying off some debt. You know, depending on how many debts you have, you may want to attempt to pay off more than one, but it's quite all right to start small. To do this, I always recommend setting up an account with Undebted, and that's undebt.it. Undebted allows you to list all of your debts, your interest rates, your monthly payments, and all the things that come along with uh, loans and credit cards. And once you have this information put into the website, it will let you see your overall payoff date. You know, if you make the minimum payments on all these debts, when will you be out of debt? What's that final payoff? And for many of us, this is going to come as a huge shock. I know it did for me. Once I put everything into Undebted and saw that my final payoff was going to be five or six years into the future, I got pretty overwhelmed for a short period of time. You know, it's unfortunate, but many people continue to make the minimum monthly payments with little thought as to when they'll become debt free. You know, because for a lot of us, debt is just a part of life. You know, it's just a part of the American dream, right? But it doesn't have to be. Debt does not have to be a part of your life. The thing that helped me get over my uh, discouragement about my debt, in addition to reading Dave Ramsey's books and just getting educated on how to get out of debt, I discovered the debt snowball technique, and you can actually uh, read more about that on the blog. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can actually use Undebted to do the debt snowball technique. It's an amazing process to help you get out of debt more quickly than you would if you just kept making all of your minimum payments. So you start by attacking your smallest debt and pay that off as quickly as you possibly can. Put all your extra money, uh, if you can, stop going out to eat, doing any kind of extra entertainment, and put all your extra money towards the smallest debt and pay it off as fast as you can. And then you take the minimum payment plus your extra payments from that debt, and then you snowball that into the next debt that you have. So the debt snowball is a super powerful technique for taking control of your finances, but in order to get that snowball rolling, you have to pay off that first loan, that first debt, whatever that is, credit card, student loan, uh, you gotta get the ball rolling by paying off your smallest debt. So that's why I've got that as goal number six. Depending on your debt situation, this could be a quick thing, it could take some time, but either way, read up on my blog about the debt snowball technique and start working towards living a debt-free life. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I've got 10 financial goals for you today, 
And you can do them in any order. You can do them in the order that I'm laying them out. You can pick and choose which ones you want to do. Uh, But now that you've paid off your smallest debt, you can either move on to paying off more of your debts and really get that snowball going, or you can move on to goal number seven and try something else out. That's completely up to you. Like I said, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not claiming that these goals are set in any specific order uh, for maximum success. I'm just laying out 10 financial goals that I found value in. And goal number seven is start saving 10% of your income. So recently I listened to an audio book called The Richest Man in Babylon, and it's, it's a great book. It's extremely old, very old, and it's written about the ancient Babylonians and how they became the wealthiest people on earth. Uh, so the ancient Babylonians were the first people to really discover the universal laws of prosperity. So if you read this book or listen to it on Audible, you'll learn that the biggest secret to prosperity is saving 10% of your income first before doing anything else. So according to that, this probably should have been goal number one. But like I said, these are in no specific order. Do these uh, in the order that you want to. But to clarify, this is 10% of your take home pay, not 10% of your gross pay. So the most common money mistake people make is that they make their expenses their top priority. And this rarely leaves any money left over to save. When we form a habit like this, it makes it really, really hard to save because our expenses tend to grow to match our income. You know, I see it all the time and I've even done it myself. You get a raise at work and then you run out and you buy something uh, of equal or greater value of the raise you just received. So your expenses truly rise to match that of your new income. So the problem is we value what we can afford based on our 0% savings. Instead, we need to train ourselves to save 10% first and then cover our bills with what's left over. So we have to ask ourselves, what can we afford with 90% of our income? Regardless of how much money you make, set a goal to start saving 10% of your income from every check you receive uh, from now going forward. One easy way to do this is to set up an auto deposit with your employer. You know, many companies can split your paycheck into multiple accounts. So be sure to ask if they can place 10% of your paycheck into a savings account instead of your checking account. If you're having trouble saving 10%, go back to your budget and see if you can make some cuts to make room in your savings. Remember, savings is extremely important. So our budget should really be built around 90% of our take-home pay, not the full 100%. So revisiting that budget can help you hone in on where you can make some cuts. That way you can really start getting your savings account going. All right, goal number eight is kind of in the same vein, and this is to join a matching retirement program. So for savings, you're just putting cash into a savings account, and there's very low interest yield on that, and your money is pretty accessible to you. So if you get in a pinch, you can go get it very quickly. But many companies offer a matching retirement fund. For example, my company provides a simple IRA with a 3% match. And what that means is if I put 3% of my salary into the fund, they will also deposit an additional 3% beyond my regular paycheck. And that's just free money. And so ours is up 
to a 3% match. So if I do 1%, they too will only do 1%. So by doing the maximum of 3%, you're getting the 3% free money into your retirement account. A mistake I made early in my career, and it's one that I see uh, several people making now too, is delaying starting that matching fund. And I think they do that because they think they need that extra 3% on their paycheck. I know that's why I put it off. Uh, I think I became eligible for the matching fund and I put it off between two and three years because I thought this was going to have a huge impact on my paycheck. But for every pay cycle that you're not doing this, you're missing out on free money. And so I missed out on two to three years worth of free, free money going into my retirement plan. And if you really sit down and do the math, 3% really doesn't come out to much. And by the time your company matches your 3%, you're actually investing 6% of your take-home pay into a retirement plan. And so, you know, goal number seven was to save 10% of your income into a savings account. And if you save this 3%, you're up to 13%. And so if you can't save 13%, Try saving 7% of your check in cash in a savings account and then also do the 3% matching fund with your company. So with the match that they'll give you, this will take you up to 13%. So if you can't do uh, the 10% and the 3 try to do both if you can and just drop that cash savings down to 7% because, again, you're getting that free money from your company. And I don't know about you, but I would rather get the free money from the company than to be sure to put 10% into a savings account that has a very low interest yield. Now, with the matching retirement plan, your money is not easily accessible to you. You can't just zip down to the bank and make a withdrawal, but that's actually a good thing if you really stop and think about it because we're all going to retire someday. So please don't put this off any longer. Go and start this today because, like I said, we're all going to retire and we're going to need some money later in life. And so starting now and especially getting that 3% match, uh, you know, some companies even do a 6% match. So be sure to go and ask. But the sooner you start this, the sooner you can start building your retirement and getting that free money from your company. Okay, so we're nearing the end of this episode of the podcast. Goal number nine is convert a hobby into a side hustle. So by now, you have undoubtedly heard of a side hustle. Gary Vaynerchuk is talking about it all the time. If you haven't, allow me to quickly explain. A side hustle is not a second job where you have a second boss and a second schedule that you have to work around. A side hustle is a passion or a hobby that you can work on in your spare time to make more money on your own time. A good friend of mine loves going to antique stores, hitting up estate sales and garage sales and so on. So instead of just doing that as a hobby, she started buying these unique items that stand out to her and she sells them on Etsy. So boom, side hustle. She's already doing this thing anyway. It's a lot of fun for her. So now she's just reselling items and making some extra money on the side. Another good friend of mine loves working on cars in his garage. He's been rebuilding transmissions in his free time for years, but last year he took it to a whole new level. He started an online store where he sells transmission rebuild packages and drop ships performance parts. So both of these friends could scale their side hustles as time and technologies allow, or they could stop altogether. The point is they have total freedom, total control over their schedule and how much that they do this. So that's really what a side hustle is all about. 
As you seek to turn a hobby into a side hustle, make sure it's something you enjoy. The last thing that you want is a second job that's draining your energy. So some other examples could be freelance photography or writing, starting an eBay, Etsy, Amazon, or Poshmark store, creating an online course and reselling that, starting a blog and monetizing that through affiliate marketing and banner ads, uh, becoming an influence marketer like on Instagram or Facebook. You could drive for Uber or Lyft. And I know a lot of people think these are part-time jobs. Uh, But I disagree because you don't have a boss and a schedule telling you when and where to go. If you want to drive this Saturday, you just log into the app and go drive this Saturday. Uh, If you don't, you don't. You're in total control. So I would count that as a side hustle as well. You're monetizing your car, cruising around your local city, uh, driving and dropping people off for extra cash. So the last example I have is selling services on Fiverr or Upwork. So if you're not a freelance photographer or copywriter, there are tons of different things you can do to sell your services from recording voiceovers to doing graphic design to uh, running Facebook ad campaigns for other companies. There are so many services you can sell online through Fiverr and Upwork that it's quite easy to turn one of your favorite hobbies into a side hustle. And the list goes on and on. You can find tons of great ideas by doing a quick search on Google. All right, last but not least, goal number 10 is meeting with a financial advisor. While this financial goal is super easy, I saved it last because I believe investing with an advisor or exploring more complex investing strategies is something you should only do after you've started a solid savings plan, paid off all your debts, and started that company-matched retirement plan. But again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a guy with an opinion and 10 goals that I think you should try. But regardless of your financial goals, meeting with an advisor is typically a good idea because you can tell them about your current financial situation and they can help you more strategically plan for the future. So let's say that you wanted to retire at 65 for $1 million. A financial advisor could help you create a plan to make that goal a reality or at least tell you what you would have to do to make it a reality. For example, to retire at 65 with $1 million, you would need to start saving about $405 per month at the age of 25, given an average annual return of 7%. So, you know, everybody wants to retire with at least a million dollar. It seems like that's kind of just the the average goal that people want to do. I myself have always, you know, said, hey, I need a million dollars to retire. I don't know why it's kind of an arbitrary number. If you're like me, you had no idea that you would have to save that much money to save a million dollars. It absolutely blew me away. So meeting with a financial advisor can help you assess your financial situation and they can craft a plan to help you achieve your goals and meet with you annually to measure your progress and tweak that plan. Best of all, the meetings are usually free. Financial advisors tend to make all their money from the fees on those investments or from commissions on the products that they sell. So don't worry about paying for a consultation. So there you go. If you're looking for an excellent financial goal to set this year, look no further. Depending on where you are in your financial journey, you could start at the top of this list and work your way down throughout the entire year, or you could pick and choose depending on what excites you the most. Like I always say, Good goals should be ones that get you excited. 
So either way, no matter what you choose to do, the key is to start now. Don't wait another single minute to get started. Set a goal for yourself that gets you excited and then give it everything you've got. So I hope you found some value in this episode. If you did, please consider sharing it with family, friends, coworkers, anybody you think would find value in this message. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you are only one goal, one action away from achieving greatness in your life. So until next time, take care.